please cut all mentions of pocket sand okay. from this part of the episode. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you and sacrifice. Oh, son of a bitch! I did it for the love. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Turnbuckle Training. Introducing first your longtime fan, short time podcaster, and former fantasy wrestling hardcore champion, Peyton Slime Time Green. And his tag team partner making his debut in the wacky world of fighting fools, Zach, the heart attack waiting to happen, Barlow. Oh, God, it could come any minute, right? Yeah, man, we ate a lot of gravy over the weekend. <laughs> we did. And I feel like the heart attack waiting to happen, I mean, like, that's a pretty good nickname, because, like, you know, attack is a fight word. Right, right. I'm aggressive, but also dying. <laughs> aggressive, but also dying. It's the name of your finishing move. <laughs> So this is a show for longtime wrestling fans and rookies alike. We're going to take you through some of the biggest shows, matches, and rivalries in wrestling history, or at least the ones I can talk about for the next couple hours. And if you know nothing about wrestling, don't worry, because as you'll soon find out, I don't either. So Peyton, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, our main topic is going to be uh, about ECW Heat Wave 1998. But before we get into that, I think uh, you know we owe we owe our listeners uh, a little bit of a follow up to uh, to Crown Jewel. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about we did we did kind of like a, a preview of uh, this this very controversial show that WWE was about to put on in Saudi Arabia. So now we got to talk about it. And I, the full disclosure, I watched like thirty seconds of it. Um, so I can't really judge it based on what I watch, but I feel like I know enough and I've read enough and I've heard enough about what other people have said that I still probably don't have the right to talk about it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, I'm for it. Um, lots of stuff happened here, and I feel like, I, I almost feel like part of me wonders if the WWE purposely made this show bad because they're like, hmm, maybe if we make it bad enough, people will stop talking about that it was in Saudi Arabia and they'll start talking about how bad of a wrestling show it was. And okay, I, I think maybe change the framing of your narrative. I think maybe it worked, and they kick things off by doubling down on the controversy by bringing out Hulk Hogan. Oh boy. Which, uh, you know, Hogan's basically probably, like, if, if you know, he's, like, first on the Mount Rushmore of, of pro wrestling. Uh, he's also probably on the on the uh, Mount Rushmore of racism. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not Hulk true. There, Hogan, Robert E. Lee. <laughs> there are a lot of people way more racist than Hulk Hogan. But there aren't a lot of wrestlers more racist than Hulk Hogan. Paula Dean. Uh, you know, you... You must have a pretty bad sex tape is if what people are talking about are what you said in your sex tape <laughs> rather than what you did. Um, probably because whatever was going on at Hulk Hogan's sex tape, people were just like, I don't want to talk about that. 
Let's talk about <laughs> him saying the N word. Although it is pretty weird for a sex tape, you know, like, hey man, nothing nothing gets gets my rocks off like hearing somebody talk about like I do not want my daughter to date an N word. You know, and that's got to be like whoever the tape got leaked to, they were like, ooh, some juicy Hulk Hogan sex tape. This will be a great controversy. And they were like watching it, and they just heard that part, and they were like, wait, what? Yeah, they immediately got soft. <laughs> um, yeah, so Hulk Hogan made his first appearance in WWE since since 2015, since that whole whole thing happened. Um for I don't even really know why I it, it was pretty ironic because Hulk Hogan's music starts off with "I am a real American," which is I almost wonder if they were like, "Hmm, this should work. This should <laughs> make people forget that we're in a country that has no human rights and pro- may have contributed to a man a journalist's death." Yeah, and and in some some people would argue may have also contributed to like nine eleven and terrorism. Um, <laughs> uh, I think probably more than some people. But <laughs> yeah, so but yeah, no, you just pump up the patriotic uh, aspect. You turn that up to an eleven, and then suddenly you're in your own little slice of America, baby. So okay, even if we just like separated the the controversy from the show, it was just a bad wrestling event. Because okay, so here's here's the thing. The whole thing was revolved around this this tournament. It's called the World Cup because to crown the best in the world. Wait, they were playing soccer? Um, no, they were. Which I don't understand why they called it a World Cup because all of the wrestlers were from America. But here's the other problem: is that two of the main and probably like most popular participants being John Cena and Daniel Bryan backed out of the event because they didn't feel comfortable competing in Saudi Arabia. So I'm going to be real. That's when you know you've got some fucking clout in the company is when you can just back out of events at like and not get fired for it. Yeah, well that happens when you're John Cena and you're like also on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Um but yeah, also that has to be And pretty... the Mount Rushmore of good guys. Yeah, good guy John Cena backing out uh so the tournament was kind of doomed to begin with. So again, they doubled down on it, and they decided, you know what? We're going to have The Miz get an injury, rule him unable to compete, and you know who we're going to put in the final round? A guy who was not in the tournament at all and is not a wrestler, Shane McMahon. Oh, boy. Who then wins it in two and a half minutes? Uh, that was not the main event. We also had Brock Lesnar... Um, who is a um, a non-wrestler, or not a non-wrestler, a, a part-time wrestler. He wrestles about five matches a year, only on the big pay-per-views. But he had held their Universal Championship for, uh, let me see, checks notes. He held it for 503 days. Uh, what is the difference between the Universal Championship title and, like, the world title, like... Well, I mean, obviously this one's better because you defend it all across the universe. <laughs> uh, no, this is just their Raw title, so the, the the world title is on is on SmackDown, and of course, they, Raw always has to be better. So if if SmackDown <laughs> has the world title, then Raw has to have the Universal title. Okay, gotcha. But yeah, Brock gotcha. Lesnar had a 503 day reign with the title to begin with, which is like the longest in modern history. 
and eventually is beaten by Roman Reigns, who has it for two months before he has to give it up because of leukemia. So instead of giving it to Braun Strowman, who is like a big, he's really popular and, you know, has been getting this push, but no, they decided, you know what, let's like fuck with people again, give it to Brock Lesnar again. A guy who's going to wrestle twice and lose it. Amazing. And uh, let, let me go back to that. He also, another weirdly short match, he wins it in three minutes and 16 seconds. But our wow. main event was four old men, was, was the retirement home match. <laughs> the retirement home street fight. D-Generation X, Triple H, part-time wrestler and fucking president, CEO, whatever he is. Oh, executive vice president of talent, live events, and creative for WWE. So the fucking vice president of the company and Shawn Michaels, who has been retired for eight years, beat... The Brothers of Destruction, The Undertaker, who wrestles, who this year has been like his most active year in, since I stopped watching wrestling, with like four matches in one year. Um, The Undertaker and his partner, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, came. Yeah, and and Triple H even got a a nasty, uh, like, shoulder injury in this match so yeah just not really a great don't mash a bunch of old men together because someone's gonna break something yeah you can't just make an old man blender it doesn't work it's honestly kind of funny that triple h was the one who got hurt because he's the one who probably is like the least retired of all of them (laughs) yeah yeah so it's kind of funny that the the youngest person was the one who got injured. Come on, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I got one more thing I need to, I need to mention, and that is uh, is that this was their defense of this. Stephanie McMahon. Here's how she defended what they what they did to, to go forward with this event after Jamal Khashoggi's murder. Um, she said it was an incredibly tough decision given that heinous act, but decided that it was strictly a business decision. That's not a good reason. No, it's definitely not. Like, that's like, okay. I would prefer if you, like, maybe were a little bit more honest with it. They're like, like, I would prefer if you said, hey, we're just contractually obligated or, like, you know. I would honestly rather them say, yeah, it was a really horrible thing that happened, but we don't care. Like, that would have been better than it was a strictly business decision. It's like, no, 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 we understand how bad it was. But money is more important. That is what, that's basically what they said. That's exactly what they said, yeah. Uh, that's pretty fucked up. Bad, bad press release. It would have been better if you just didn't say anything about it. Yeah. But honestly, like, that's like, golly, that is such a bad excuse. It's just, it's mind-bogglingly bad that that was their excuse. But, you know, whatever, so... I think at some point in the future we'll probably do a little more about Crown Jewel. Um, I personally was just like, I can't, I can't watch this. It's just there's too much, too much with it, and it was even worse than I would have thought it would be. But if their last Saudi Arabia pay per view was any indication, they just won't ever mention it again. So <laughs> you know that's fine. Well, I can't wait for them to go to North Korea. 
Well, let's let's try to move into our into our actual main topic today. Uh, we're talking about ECW Heatwave 1998. So, theme here. We've talked about Attitude Era WWF. We've talked about Ruthless Aggression Era WWE. Then we moved on talking about their biggest competition in WCW, but there was also a third brand around during the Attitude Era, and that was ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. You know, they were never quite on the same level as WCW or WWF in terms of exposure uh, or success, but they were always kind of the little engine that could. It's surprising they lasted as long as they did, and the nostalgia for it is great. Like, people, you know, still chant ECW. The nostalgia for ECW was good enough that the WWE had two ECW reunion shows and even brought the brand back as its own show. Damn, that really? That could be a whole episode because of how 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 fucked up they made it, but... <laughs> Um, but, uh, so, so, yeah, they were not, they were sort of more akin to an indie setup it's, than... It's pretty uh, much exactly what they were. Um, they were, um, they were based in Philadelphia. It was originally Eastern Championship Wrestling. They are part of the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, which was like this big governing body over wrestling territories, um, during the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. That had different, there were like different sections of the country. They were like, you know, this is the Northeast Territory, this is the Southwest Territory. Um, and lots of those companies ended up breaking off and becoming their own thing, like WCW did. Um, ECW did the same thing, but they did it in a much more like edgy way. Um, so they were Eastern Championship Wrestling, and then Shane Douglas, who we see here. Um, Shane Douglas was won the Eastern Championship Wrestling World Championship, and you know the the management with ECW never really liked working with the NWA. They wanted to do their own thing. NWA was very old school classic wrestling rules. They wanted to be all hardcore and stuff, and they were, but they would get a lot of pushback from from the NWA. So finally, they just decided screw it, and they had Shane Douglas go out there win the Eastern Championship Wrestling title. And then he got on the mic and he said, this title is stupid, threw it on the ground and was like, I'm not the Eastern Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. I'm the Extreme Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. So they went off and became their own thing. A really, really great way to make that change. Yeah. And, and that's, all, that. that's all a shoot, which yeah, let's, let's make that our word of the day, a shoot is what, when something in wrestling happens that's real. Like, they go off script. Like, so when someone does a shoot interview, they're, like, saying what they really think. They're going off script. You know, when someone shoots on someone else, that means when they really beat them up. So Oh, okay. So Shane Douglas... I actually did not know this word. This was not a storyline. So when Shane Douglas threw that belt down, he was being legitimate. He was like, yeah, we're... Screw it, we're our own thing. Fuck yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, it's a wild way for a company to begin, and and they kind of kept that attitude with them, you know, through their run. Uh, the problem with ECW is though that they just they they were a ship that was constantly just trying to bail out water. Uh, you know, they lasted from about as Eastern Championship Wrestling from 1997 to about 2001 but they really became extreme championship wrestling in like 1995 um so they they did a pretty good run but they were constantly on the verge of bankruptcy um 
they have the WWE Network has a pretty good documentary on them, the rise and fall of ECW, where they talk about you know like their wrestlers were also their like office employees. Like they were talking about wow. they're like you know Tommy Dreamer was the one answering phones. Bubba Ray Dudley was designing T-shirts. Like <laughs> that's so, crazy. So but like. You can tell, I think it's reflected in this pay-per-view, like, they've got 5,000 people at this arena, and, you know, that's, what, half the size of the audiences we've been looking at? Um, Maybe not even that. But the fans are all really into it. Like, so you can see that it's, like, a small following, but a passionate one. For sure. And that was the other problem, is they didn't, they were... They weren't on, you know, national TV. They were, like, syndicated in that market. So, I mean, you could see them if you lived in Philadelphia or New York. You couldn't really see them anywhere else. It was it was mostly done in, like, tape trading where people would, you know, they'd sell it on VHS and people would, like, send it to their friends. And that's how people found out about ECW. They started to get a little bit more exposure when they started doing pay-per-views. Uh, the first of which was Barely Legal in 1997, uh, which... Infamously, just mere seconds after the pay per view went off the air, all the power went out because they <laughs> didn't have, they couldn't afford to keep the lights on anymore. <laughs> Holy shit! Um, they uh, they also got some more exposure with some help from the WWF. The WWF, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of people didn't know this. At, actually, really nobody really knew it at the time. The WWF kind of was helping them the whole time. Uh, they were, they were... You now, know. that's interesting. Why would they do that? Um, well, they saw them as not a real threat, and they also saw them as an opportunity to almost be like a developmental training ground for them. They had, you know, ECW had a lot of guys who would later go on to WCW and the WWF. Uh, they would do some, like, cross-promotion stuff. Like, there was an episode of Raw where ECW came and invaded their show. Uh, Paul Heyman also worked behind the scenes a lot in the WWF uh, creatively. Um, so that's what they did. The WWF also saw it as like a way they could bring some of the ECW talent over to help them be more competitive against WCW. Uh, ECW hated WCW. They hated them so much because WCW did more of a job of stealing their talent. Um, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, Psychosis... Hoovitude, uh, those guys all started in ECW and eventually went to WCW uh, because better money. Um, so they saw WCW as like poaching their talent. Now, some of them would go to WWF too, but it was always a little bit more amicable. It was always a little bit more like, hey, you know, I've, I've really done all I can do here in ECW. need to move on. Um, you know, huh. there there are wrestlers uh, to this day who are still owed hundreds of thousands of dollars by Paul Heyman, who ran uh, ECW, because he just couldn't he couldn't afford to pay him. He, he just wow, he just couldn't. Um, uh, they did eventually get on network television, but not for very long. Uh, they were on TNN, who a lot of people say they were just using it as a trial run to eventually put WWF on there. Uh, they didn't really let them be extreme. Um, to the point where they finally got kicked off of TNN because ECW hated being on TNN. They created a character called, uh, I can't remember what they called him, but th- he was representing the network. They like created a, a, a heel character to be a member of TNN so that they could just beat him up <laughs> and shit on him. And eventually Paul Heyman gave a shoot interview 
on ECW on TNN saying, we hate this network, please cancel us. I mean, he really did. He came out on their show and said, cancel this show, please. Because he wanted, he wanted to go find another network, but he couldn't do that while he was still under contract with that network. So he begged them to cancel them. Um, so that is insane. It was basically they had everything thrown at them and couldn't really do much, but because they weren't really well regu- regulated by anyone, they could really kind of go nuts and do whatever they wanted to. Um, a- another good example is Steve Austin originally worked in WCW, got fired from WCW, uh, got his pink slip FedEx to him, and went to ECW. Oh, damn. And ECW, he was injured. He was also fired while he was injured. Uh, he couldn't wrestle in ECW. He wrestled. He ended up wrestling two matches in ECW, but that's really where he became his Steve Austin character. He would get up there and do a lot of shoots. He did. He Steve Austin dressed up like Hulk Hogan and made fun of Hulk Hogan on ECW TV, and he made fun of Eric Bischoff and just talked about how bad they were, and basically just got to vent. Um, to- that is amazing. I did not know. I always thought that Steve Austin was a. WWE, you know, original. I didn't realize that he actually did not start there. No, he he didn't. And and you know, he, in WCW he started, but he wasn't really himself. Like he wasn't really Steve Austin. He came. He invented the stunner. He kind of copied a guy, Mikey Whipwreck, who we watched in our last WCW show. Uh, he did the Whipper Snapper, and eventually Stone Cold took that move and made it the Stone Cold Stunner. Um, so ECW is responsible for a lot. I mean, a lot of, I mean, wow. WWF would not have created, would have done all these hardcore matches, would not have had a hardcore championship if not for the stuff that ECW was doing that people just loved. Um, and I got to say, I love it too. A lot of the stuff in this show is really great. Yeah, let's, let's begin. We start off as, as ECW would always do things a little bit differently. They'd always start off their show with Joey Styles, the voice of ECW. He was their main ring announcer. He called most shows completely by himself, um, which was kind of not really the norm. Usually it was a two-man team. Joey Styles called them pretty much alone. So Joey Styles starts the show. Crowd is going nuts, chanting ECW. And uh, and Styles welcomes us to the show. He introduces his color commentator, which is the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, Shane Douglas. Shane Douglas is a guy who really never got that successful anywhere else except for ECW. He's one of those few exceptions that was a huge name in ECW, but not really anywhere else. <laughs> Everyone in ECW was either a huge name that ended up making it big other places, or they you just never heard of them again. Uh, but but Shane comes out, you know, he was a multi-time world champion there, first under Extreme. He's the guy who threw the belt down. Um, I think they respected him so much that when he got injured, they didn't take the title off of him, which is the case here. You know, he's their world champion, but he's not wrestling because his arm is injured. He's coming out there uh, in a in a sling. He comes out there with uh, Francine, his uh, his valet, uh, comes out there, and we immediately get treated to why ECW is different and why the WWE Network put not one but two. TVMA warnings at the beginning of this. He comes out and says, cut the fucking music. Yeah, I I was like, I was immediately like, yo, they can say fuck here? What? But I will say, well, I even mean, in the opening moments of this, you can already tell that ECW has its own distinct flavor 
it does not feel like like WCW felt like it was a more boring WWE to me, but ECW feels like it's its own thing, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they can, I mean, truly they could say whatever they want because it is pay-per-view, but it's, you know, they don't, the WWE and, and WCW, whenever they were on pay-per-view, they didn't try to push the envelope too much because they're like, okay, well, it's still the same audience. Um, right, right. So he comes out and he says he's excited because Bam Bam Bigelow is going to get his hands on Taz. Taz is the guy who, who put uh, Douglas's arm in the sling and Bam Bam Bigelow is one of uh, is one of the members of his uh, his triple threat posse. It's interesting because we saw Bam Bam Bigelow in our last episode, and I was even telling you I was like, this almost like the match that Bam Bam Bigelow had with Hardcore Hack or the Sandman, who we also see here, felt a little bit like it was trying too hard to be ECW and not succeeding. Uh, and then of course he's talking about Taz, who we heard on. Our SummerSlam 2002 episode, Taz, of course, later will become the uh, longtime uh, color commentator, or excuse me, yeah, the color com- commentator for SmackDown. So, I will say, though, um, how do you feel about the horny levels here compared to the horny levels of the WWF and the WCW? Okay, well, w- I feel like they did kind of start at like a seven on the horny scale. Yeah, ECW can be pretty damn horny. Uh, a lot of times, way too much so. Like, the WWF is definitely can get too horny. The ECW just, like, starts out too horny. Yeah, I was like, it's it's a very strange move to me to start your show horny. Yeah. Like, usually the horny is something that's thrown in at a moment when you just want to get the crowd's attention or something, but, um... But we just lead the gate with the horny and well, with the audience chanting, show your tits. Well, I mean, the cra- yeah, it was the crowd that wanted it. They were, like, they were literally chanting, show your tits at Francine. And leading to this line where Joey Styles says, my suit is double-breasted like Francine, which I need to make a comment. Aren't most women double-breasted? I would think so, unless you are either the woman from Kung Pao with one boob or the woman from Total Recall with three. Yeah, so, and then she just puts Joey Styles' face in her boobs. ECW. Yeah, that was a... ECW, everyone. Still, not the horniest moment in this show. Not by a mile. Um, so then we just get a promo package showing us all the crazy stuff ECW does um, with weapons and, and whatnot. Um, you know, they're kind of known for their weapons, but they also have some pretty damn good just wrestling, uh, which I think we really see here in our first match. And we have Just Incredible versus Jerry Lynn. Just Incredible has way too many people in his posse, I will say, though. Yes, Justin has a whole goddamn squad of rapscallions, and I hate every one of them. Yeah, he's got um, Jason, just Jason, Chastity, who we saw in our Spring Stampede episode, and his Raven sister, and then Nicole Bass, who is Big Lady. Yeah, and like, okay, also, pun names, I'm never a fan of. Justin Credible. Yeah, I know, he has a really stupid name. Honestly, it's hard to get over his stupid name. It's really hard to get over how dumb his fucking name is, man. Yeah. Um, Joey Styles does have a really funny comment that's both a pun and a shot at the WWF. He says, oh, yes. we should call Nicole Bass Russia because she's so much bigger than China, as in China, <laughs> the wrestler. 
They actually make several, and that was one thing that I was thinking of. Like, they make several shots at WCW and WWF, which I guess when you're the small guy, you can really do a lot more. Yeah. Because when you are just as big, you don't want to acknowledge your competition because you, you want people to be like, oh, this is the only wrestling. Well, that's something that people always would say. They were like, you know, as soon as WWF started acknowledging and making fun of WCW, that's when you knew that they considered them an actual threat. Whereas WWF has mentioned TNA like one time ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, they, they do take lots of shots at them. Um, Just Incredible has announced as the sexiest man on earth. That should be the sexiest man on earth who wears jean shorts. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say Just Incredible. Not that sexy, just kind of a regular dude. Honestly, you know who Just Incredible looks like? He looks like if Steve Austin was in, like, a funhouse mirror that made him skinny. (laughs) He's bald, has a goatee, and wears jean shorts. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty accurate there. I I think you're spot on. He's he's Slender Steve. Uh, (laughs) There's also, though, a line here from the commentary where he says... Uh, sports, and he goes, notice I didn't say sports entertainment, Yeah, which I thought was fun. That was good. Uh, we get Jerry Lynn, and uh, let me talk a bit about Jerry Lynn. He's so good. He's like, I know I say this a lot where the, I always call people like one of the most underrated wrestlers or everything, but Jerry Lynn is a really phenomenally good wrestler, and again, who really does not have much of a career outside of ECW. Um, although I will say, Jerry Lynn is one of, like, only a handful of guys I can think of who's wrestled in WWF, ECW, WCW, TNA, and Ring of Honor. He's he's done all five wrestling wow. companies that were on TV in the whole country. And God he's done damn. them all. Uh, and he's just, he's just good. He's just, I mean, he has, like, really nothing else. Like, he's not, you know, he doesn't have, like, some crazy cool gimmick. He doesn't have, like, really a whole lot of mic skills. But he's just a good wrestler. Uh, he has a really good series with, uh, with uh, Rob Van Dam. Um, so just incredible. I I I, I really I just I just don't like him that much. Um, yeah, I I can agree with that. He's lucky to be in the ring with Jerry Lynn. I will say the two have a great <laughs> the two have a great match. Um, uh, lots of back and forth chain wrestling stuff. Uh, lots of quick pinfalls and stuff. I will say one. one uh, I agree with you. This is a really great match. Downside that continues to be a sort of bummer throughout the show is how long it takes it to get started. It takes ten minutes for them to start the fucking first match of the show. Oh yeah, because of all the like. Yeah, they do a lot of like heeling and hauling and shit. Yeah, and just... which is weird. Okay, so I think the thing here is, I think there is as much wrestling to non wrestling as like your typical WWF show. I think it's just that most of it goes on with them walking to the ring or being announced or stuff like that that's not as fun to watch. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, but I agree with you. This match is incredible. <clears throat> um, and just Would you say it's just guys... incredible? I gotta do it okay, once. I'm quitting the show. I gotta Goodbye. do it one time. There's no way I could not do it once. I hate you. But we see a lot of uh, a lot of the high flying stuff here that, like you were saying, like WCW doesn't really know how to call. It's not quite as fast as the like regular luchador style of wrestling, I don't think. But it's headed in that direction. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing about it: what you just mentioned, like not knowing how to call. Joey Styles knows every move. 
Yeah, he's a fantastic commentator. He's an encyclopedia. He'll say things, and sometimes I'm like, you made that up, didn't you? (laughs) Joey Styles, there is no such thing as a kachahajime. You made that up. (laughs) And, like, one time, there's one time in the show where he gets something wrong and corrects himself, and I'm like, honestly, I would have never known. (laughs) Um, But I gotta say, like, I really like his commentary. I think he's great. And that is... You know how usually I'm I'm very I kind of shit on the commentary team if they're not JR and King because they're yeah. usually just not very good. But this guy is fantastic. Oh yeah, he's super good. He's you know, he doesn't do so much as a JR and King where they're like very good like all about the storytelling. Joey Styles is just calling the moves, but in a really good way. But he I he also can really kind of fill you in on the background of the story and stuff and he's just passionate. You can tell he cares. Right, in a and way he that also a lot of does this don't. thing. The uh, one thing I think is just classically good commentary, and he takes a moment where I believe, um, I believe that Just Incredible is in a hold, and he's just like hanging out there for a minute, and it's kind of boring. But he like starts talking up the hold and how like it's one a chance for one wrestler to take a break while the other one is in constant agony and stuff, and it's like you made. What would have been a slow moment in the match, really cool. Yeah, and he's, he's like explaining how it hurts and like what parts of the body it like it puts pain on, and it's just yeah, no, it's really great. Um, you know, we get we go to the outside a little bit. Uh, th- there's there's a little bit of interference here that I, I was kind of like, Ugh, this was a good match that didn't really need anything, but also when you bring out three people, it's kind of inevitable. Um, yeah, when when Jerry Lynn gets thrown outside and Jason and and Nicole Bastard double teaming him and Chastity is distracting the referee, which I don't know why because there are no disqualifications. That is an important point for those who don't know. Every match in ECW is a hardcore match, which in a lot of companies would be like, okay, that's so too much. But they somehow, and I don't really can't really put my finger on how. They do it in a way that it's not like, oh, wow, another hardcore match, you know? There is a nuance here that they are really good at striking because I was thinking that too. Like, So one of my problems in WCW is that the wrestling felt like it was just a bunch of big spots and like those were sort of tapered together with a lot of nothing and it was kind of slow. But like the big spots were cool. I feel like ECW is still a lot of really big spots, but they're able to string them together in a way that I'm like, this doesn't feel like you escalated too fast. This doesn't feel like there's nowhere left for the match to go. It feels fine. It feels good. And indie wrestling has a good does does really good at doing that. And I, I don't know. I think it might be a combination of the guys are younger, so a they're just better at doing more things, and b they are just happy to be there and will do crazy shit. Yeah, that um, is. I think that's a really good point. Like, it's like when you're trying to prove yourself, you're working so much harder than when you feel like you've sort of already got it made. And let's talk a little bit about how they uh, they they incorporate and interact with the crowd because uh, there's a point in here where Just Incredible whips Jerry Lynn into the guardrail and takes a beer from the crowd and smashes it into Jerry Lynn's face. Not an incredible moment, but just kind of fun. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I really, I really like it. Like, it makes it feel like there's a reason for it to be live. Um, it makes it feel like... There is something here that is not just a 
something that could have been pre-recorded. It is a relationship with the crowd where, like, and the crowd here is we're very well behaved. They understand what's going on, and they're really into it. And it's like, it feels less like a contractual obligation where, like, these people came and paid money to see the show, and more like everyone is actually having fun together. Yeah, it does. Um... We start. We we get our we get our weapons involved. We get a steel chair in here. Um, they they do a move where where Jason and Nicole Bass put the chair in front of uh, Jerry Lynn's face, and he gets drop he drop kicks the chair into his face. That was pretty. He sick. He gets power bombed on it. Uh, we we get a table involved, of course. Um, where uh, Jerry Lynn co- uh, hits a hurricane run on just incredible off the top rope. Onto the outside, through the table. The crowd goes nuts. Joey Styles says his catchphrase, which is, Oh my God! Which you can hear in our intro. <laughs> um, just, or Jerry Lynn tries to get the pin, but Jason comes in with the chair. He gets tiger-bombed. Then Nicole Bass comes, comes in and picks up Jerry Lynn for fireman's carry. Jerry Lynn gets out of it and kicks her right in the vagina. And Joey Styles makes some comment about like like she that she actually has like she testicles. Has balls, yes, which yeah, uh, nineteen ninety eight, rough time. Um, he then hits hits her with a chair. Yeah, you know, you'd never get away in that WWF is hitting a woman with a chair. Yeah, I will say the um the amount of violence against the the women from the men was a little unsettling. Yeah, it is a little bit. It is a little bit. I don't think misogynistic quite covers it, but... Because, well, on one hand, I'm like, hey, you know, they're wrestlers, they're entertainers, um, it's, they want to be a part of this, right? So, like, let's let them be a part of it. And then on the other hand, I'm like, but should we have men hitting women on TV? Probably not. Well, here's the thing, the women weren't really a part of it. You know, there's no, like, women's division in ECW. They were just valets who would sometimes roll around with each other while Joey Styles screamed, catfight. Never mind. I'm going back on everything I just said. It's fucked up and sexist. Yeah, good point. Um, if, if they had actually been wrestlers, it would have been a little different. I didn't realize they did not have a women's division. Yeah, no. I mean, they might wrestle sometimes, but it was like... I mean, they only had, like, five women ever, so... um, Eventually, um, Chastity comes in tries to kick Jerry Lynn in the balls, but he jumps up and she kicks Credible in the balls instead. Then Jerry Lynn pile drives Chastity. Crowd is chanting ECW. Um, Jerry Lynn puts Justin Credible on the top rope, but Justin Credible is able to reverse it into his finisher, the That's Incredible, which is just a pile driver, and, uh, and, gets, and gets the three count. This was a crazy match with lots of good high spots, lots of good wrestling. Uh, a little bit disappointed Jerry Lynn didn't win it, but, you know, whatever. I didn't really truly care for all of the interference, but I do think it was a good opener of a match. Uh, give it a four out of five stars. They really, Yeah, s- I, I would agree. They really sell the aftermath of it, too, because the refs are checking on Jerry Lynn, and Joey Styles does that quiet voice that he does whenever something's supposed to be serious. Yeah, no, they they do a really good job of that. They do um, a really good job of selling pile drivers here. Like, you know, they're kind of just like regular moves 
a little bit more in the WWF, but I mean, it is a man driving another man's head, like head first into the mat after jumping off the top rope. So, I mean, it is, I'm glad that they sell it the way they do. I agree. It's a, it's a big move and it should not be overlooked. We go right to our next match, which is Lance Storm versus Chris Candido. And Chris Candido is coming out with Tammy Lynn Sitch, better known as Sonny, who's considered... And we're turning that horny meter up. She's considered the original diva uh, in the WWF. She she worked it there for a while, never really as a wrestler, just as a valet, ring announcer, interviewer, such and such and such. She's his real-life fiancé. Um, and uh, Joey Styles mentions that Lance Storm used to be a part of the Triple Threat which is Shane Douglas's little posse, which also, uh, which currently includes includes Chris Candido. Uh, interesting point is Tammy Lynn Sitch, aka Sonny, had been released by the WWF just three days before this show. Wow! Um, really? Yeah. The reason why is she refused to go to rehab. Oh, oh, okay. I was, I thought they were going to be the bad guys, but I suppose not, actually. Yeah, yeah, she refused to go to rehab. Uh, she later has a great, thriving career in pornography. Mo- oh. Moving on. Sonny steals the mic from the ring announcer and announces Chris Candido herself. They also mentioned that Candido and Storm used to be tag team champions. It, we, again, we, we start off with some back-and-forth chain wrestling, uh, but eventually we go to the outside, and Chris Candido comes off the top with a crossbody. Uh, this one starts really fast, too. Yeah. Like, very intense right out the gate. Well, because these I are love. both really young guys who are very much like uh, all-around, you know, wrestlers. Uh, and Chris Candido is even known as Mr. No Gimmicks Needed. Okay, I have a question for you. When they're doing sort of their back and forth and they're slapping each other, the audience, every time someone gets slapped, they let out a Ric Flair or a woo. And I just, is that, is there a reason for that? Well, because Ric Flair is kind of like the guy, the master of the chops. Like he would always chop people and then people started saying woo whenever he would do it. So they do it when anyone does it. Oh, so that is actually a reference to Ric Flair. That's fucking cool. I thought it was just like I thought it was just a weird noise they were making. No, no, no. When uh, Ric Flair kind of popularized the the chop to the chest, and so people would always go woo when he would do it, and so now every wrestler who does it, they do the same thing. Okay, that's that's fun. I like that. Um, Sonny tries to get involved, uh, but Storm chases her around the ring, but he gets caught with a clothesline. Storm tries for a Hurricane Rana, but gets caught with a Tiger Bomb, which is a spot they do quite a lot in these first two matches. It was just like, okay, try something new, guys. Um, we get some nice super kicks, some suplexes. Uh, Storm is able to suplex Chris Candido from the ring apron over the top rope and to the floor, which I was like, wow. Which, a note here, they don't have, like, and I'm sure Joey Styles says it because he says it in, like, every show. They don't have, like, pads around the ring. They just have concrete. Yeah, yeah, they do just have straight-ass concrete. So when people are falling to the ground, they're falling on concrete. Which I like that part of their selling point is, like, hey, we're more real than the other wrestling. Like, the wrestling is still fake. But here, it's more real, because we don't have safety measures. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why probably it couldn't, this ECW could not work today. 
Yeah, I also feel though that ECW matches they go on a bit longer than than other matches do. Yeah. I felt like WCW matches were really short, and WWE matches are like a medium length. But I feel like ECW they they can drag one out. Yeah, I was looking at it. None of these matches none of these matches go shorter than eleven minutes. So I mean, yeah, they they but I I don't think they drag really too much either though. Because there's no, lot, it's lot. the action is pretty much always there. I think it's probably just having less guys to work with. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um. Uh, we get the, the tiger bomb is their favorite move because Storm hits another one, gets a gets a near fall. Uh, here's where Sonny gives Chris Candido some powder, some some of that pocket sand. Pocket sand. But much like Mick Foley, when you bring out a weapon, it gets used on you. Storm knocks it right back into Chris Candido's face. In the confusion, Chris Candido punches the ref. He gets super kicked. Lance Storm jumps up to the top rope, but Sonny comes in, crotches him. Sonny and the referees are arguing, and oh, I guess Chris Candido. But you do not say what she does before she does that, sir. What is that? I'm sorry. Where she she just rubs all all up on his butt. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. It's very horny. There's so much horniness, it's impossible to remember it all. Um, I'm on horny watch. I am the horny watchdog. I'm going to bark anytime anyone does anything horny. Uh, eventually, so- Sonny and the ref are arguing, and Chris Candido, I guess he's still blinded by the, pow- the pocket sand, so he tries to pin the ref. <laughs> Chris <laughs> Candido goes to the top rope and hits this crazy, like, flipping powerbomb thing. Um, and in the midst of all that, something else horny happens. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna, me wanna bark? Wait, I, I don't remember. I don't know if I can bark. Oh, Sonny has a wardrobe malfunction and like loses oh, her dress. Oh God! Yes, yeah, that that didn't go in my notes because I was just blown away by it, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah, that it, was her. Her dress falls down, so some guy in the crew comes and covers her up with his jacket, and the crowd starts booing. Yeah. Which I just think is really funny. They're like, ah, boobies, titties, we need them. Um, yeah, no. Um, when I wrote down, got very horny here, I think that is what I was actually referring to and not the butt rubbing. I don't know why I thought the butt rubbing was well, the hornier part I mean, of the show. I mean, this was just kind of like an accidental horny thing. This is not. Was a- it actually accidental? That wasn't for real on purpose? Um, I, I think it was just because it, it, it kind of like happened in all the confusion and it didn't, it wasn't really focused on that much. So to me, it seems like it was a legitimate accident. Okay. Mo- well, uh, mostly well, because she... I feel like they would actually show her, her naked breasts. So the fact that like, you know, her dress fell down and a guy actually came up and gave her a jacket and she was actually walking to back with the jacket on. They didn't really talk about it too much on commentary. Makes me feel like this was an accident. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Uh, this was another uh, another one, another great athletic contest. Uh, that was, I mean, yeah, it was really sound. Shows that ECW is not all about hardcore and weapons and stuff. I gave it three point five out of five. A little too much interference, and, and to me, not quite as great as the opener, but still pretty good. Yeah, no, I thought it was really great. I enjoyed it. We go back to the announce table with Shane Douglas, Francine, and Joey Styles. Uh, someone is telling Joey Styles something in his headset, so he says that there was an incident in the parking lot earlier today, and he really sells this as like it's this is like happening like 
kind of just as it goes because he's like, oh, I didn't think we were going to show this, but I guess we are. Uh, we go backstage to New Jack, and oh man, I gotta talk a little bit about New Jack because he may be the most controversial wrestler ever because he always like actually tried to kill people. Wait, what? He's he's considered the most violent man in wrestling. So probably the most famous one would be the mass transit incident, which happened in 1996, when uh when he and his partner as part of the Gangsters. We're supposed to face Devon Dudley and Axel Rotten. Uh, Axel Rotten was not able to make make it to the show for reasons which have never been made clear. So they had to they had to put someone in at the last minute. It was this guy named Eric Kulas, who was seventeen, who lied about his age. He said he was twenty three and said he had been trained by Killer Kowalski, a a famous like wrestling veteran. Um. The guy, Eric Kulas, the 17-year-old, he requested that New Jack blade him during the match, which we've talked about, which is where, you know, you use a razor to cut your own forehead um, to make you bleed. He was like, I don't feel comfortable doing it myself. New Jack, can you please do it? That was a mistake because this guy's fucking crazy. New Jack made the incision much too deep, causing excessive bleeding. He was forced to receive 50 stitches. This was on a house show, so it wasn't televised, but there are video of it. Like, you literally see the guy lying down. Blood is, like, like squirting out of his head. Jesus Um, Christ. New Jack was charged with aggravated assault with it. He was acquitted. This one is an incident where I kind of do feel like a lot of the blame lies on this kid and his parents for lying about their age. I mean, it does rely a little bit on ECW for not checking to see that he was actually as old as he said he was. One time, New Jack had a match with this guy named Vic Grimes in a scaffold match, which is where you throw your opponent off of a scaffold. There was some sort of miscommunication where they both fell off the 20-foot scaffold and onto concrete. New Jack suffered brain damage and was temporarily blinded in his right eye. Uh, Holy the other guy hell. kind of, uh, he left ECW pretty soon after that. Uh, there was also another scaffold match between the two of them where he straight up threw him off and he was supposed to land on s- some tables, but missed most of them. Um, uh, is that quote unquote missed like, like he was never actually thrown at the tables or like he goofed? Well, he threw him at the tables, but he like he, he like kind of grazed one of them. He just like didn't throw him far enough, I guess. Damn. There are some rumors that some of the times that he did this stuff, he was trying to murder people. It's unclear. Anyway, New Jack. Why is would a- they let this man continue to wrestle? I why don't? Why? Know. Why? Why? People loved him. Anyway. New Jack almost killed someone at least three times. Jesus Christ. Anyway, so we we go to an incident that happened in the pre-show. New Jack is outside hanging out with the crowd. He says he's going to kick Jack Victory's ass. 
Jack Victory shows up, they start arguing, and then a car pulls up, and the Dudley boys come out, and they attack New Jack, a bunch of other guys come out too, there's Axel Rod and Ian Rod, and there's so many guys, too many, too many guys. Way too many guys. So way too just, many guys just, for a thing that goes on way too it's long. It's just a huge fight in a parking lot, New Jack gets busted open, and the Dudleys drive off. They really could have just like told us that he was beaten up in the parking lot, and that would have sufficed. Yeah, absolutely it would have. Um, So we go back to ringside with Shane Douglas, Francie, and Joey Styles. Styles says that he had to show the footage. He's basically like, I didn't want to do this, which I almost wonder (laughs) if that's that's at work. He says he had to show the footage to explain why the weapons match wouldn't be happening tonight, which I'm so confused about. Aren't all ECW matches weapons matches? Good point. Good, yeah, that makes, that tracks. Uh, we go backstage now to uh, to Rob Van Dam, Sabu, and Bill Alfonso. Rob Van Dam, we saw on our SummerSlam show. He's probably the the most popular wrestler in ECW history. Never actually wins the world title, though. He is the television champion at this point. He is only four months into his reign as TV champion, a reign that will last 23 months. So... Almost two years he holds that title. Damn. Um, he's also the tag team champions with Sabu. Sabu's just a crazy motherfucker. Sabu's like kind of like New Jack, except instead of trying to kill other people, he tries to kill himself. Also, Sabu. Um, I feel that there's possibly some uh, problematic elements you would think, but that's his, uh, the Sabu gimmick is his own gimmick. Like it's him. That's his gimmick that he created himself. Right, but okay, I suppose he's actually he's actually an Indian man. Oh, oh, really? I believe okay. so. I believe he just looked uh, he looked pretty white there. So I was a little bit, mm, you know, concerned. Wait a minute, he might not be. Um, no, no, I don't think he is, because his first name is Terry. <laughs> um, no, he was just trained by the Sheik, who was, uh, who was an actual Indian man. Um, wait, no, no, his name is Ed, so I don't think, oh God, no one who says that they're Indian is actually Indian in wrestling, apparently. Yeah, man, I don't know why you were uh, so blown away by this because uh, I could have told you that Sheik was not was was not kosher. Well, the Iron Sheik is actually Indian. Wait a minute, Oh, man. Wait a minute. Yes, the Iron <laughs> okay, Sheik good. is actually Iranian. <laughs> two out of three. Yeah, two out of three ain't bad. So, okay, yeah, Sabu. Sabu's a crazy motherfucker. Doesn't talk. Uh, he originally would come out like in like a straight jacket and would just go crazy. And um, he would like to use tables in matches, but if he couldn't put his opponent through a table in a match, at the end he would just jump through a table himself. Amazing. This is a man who once had a barbed wire match, which is where the ring ropes get replaced with actual barbed wire. So... What the fuck? And he missed like a dive into the corner and ripped his bicep open, so instead of stopping the match, he just glued it. Just 
just glued it? Yeah, Did he you say put, glued? He put crazy glue and he glued his his muscle together. Just just in middle of, in front of God and everybody? Yeah, once he missed like a dive attack and he hit the the guardrail on his chin, dislocated his jaw, so he just took some tape and he taped his own jaw shut. What the fuck? So Sabu, crazy motherfucker, partners with Rob Van Dam. They've got the most goddamn annoying manager ever. He's Bill Alfonso. Oh my he... god, I hate him. He looks like fucking Waluigi. <laughs> I never thought about that, but I guess you're right. Well, he's annoying because he has a fucking whistle that he blows on all the time. And I get it. His gimmick is that he's annoying, but sometimes it goes too far. We will get into this much more when we get into their actual match. Yeah, I was ready to fucking kill But there is a fun little story here with Rob Van Dam and Sabu where Rob Van Dam is clearly being very cocky and Sabu's getting annoyed with it. Uh, And then, of course, we end with Rob Van Dam saying he's the whole fucking show, our second F-bomb of the night. Also, they're going to be wrestling a guy named Hayabusa, and it's really funny because RVD kept saying uh, Hayabusa, and then he keeps saying Gazuntide after it, which is, is kind of funny. Oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a goof. So we get to our next match. It's Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. I want to talk about these two guys. These guys have ha- have waged a war. Across the country, they started wrestling in Japan against each other. They have several very classic matches in ECW, and even one at their reunion show that steals the show. Mike Awesome is very much his name. Despite having a mullet, he is <laughs> hes very awesome. He's this big dude that can, like, fly around. Um... Tanaka is also really cool because he's a small dude who can take an ass whipping. Yeah, Tanaka's really good. Uh so so we we start this one off and we immediately just start going. They they immediately start fighting, punching, just beating on each other. Mike Awesome shows both of his agility and his strength. He jumps to the middle rope, hits a back elbow, uh he hits some belly to belly suplexes. Um, but, but Mike Awesome, I mean, Masato Tanaka is really cool because he can just like, he just takes what's, what's, what's given to him. Uh, at one point, Mike Awesome hits, hits a German suplex. Tanaka just no-sells it and just starts fighting back. Um, there's a pretty cool moment pretty early on in the match where Tanaka gets clotheslined over the top rope and then Mike Awesome flies clear over the top rope and comes out with a suicide dive. Pretty much looks like he smashed his head first onto the concrete there. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, we get some chairs out, uh, and, and Tanaka does this cool move where he goes all the way to the front of the entrance ramp, runs the whole way down, and smashes Mike Awesome in the face with it. Which, okay, I actually, I really love the way that Mike Awesome sells this shot. Because, like, right when he gets hit with it, he just, like, goes limp and just, like, timbers down to the floor. And it was a really good sell on that, I thought. There are some hard chair shots in this match that make you think, like, man. Oh, yeah, there are some really fucking brutal. I don't know how they don't come. I I mean, if you told me these guys didn't have concussions, I would would call you a, a lying person. Yeah, dude, though, when they put a just... 
big ass dent in one of those chairs. I was like, holy shit. That is, this is might be too much. Yeah. But it was cool. They they start sword fighting with the chairs at one point. Did you? Yeah, that was dope. Um, Eventually, when we go into the crowd for the first time, Tanaka gets thrown right into the first row. And then Mike Awesome goes back in the ring, springboards to the top rope, and jumps clear into the front row, which is impressive for a guy who's like 300 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the ring, Awesome hits this huge sit-out powerbomb. Tanaka kicks out. Awesome gets a huge splash off the top rope. Tanaka kicks out. He hits him in the head with a chair, and Tanaka doesn't even really flinch it. And he hits him the second time, takes him down, he gets right back up, and then he gets hit again so hard that it dents the chair, and he still kicks out. Yeah, that is, I mean, this man can take some fucking punishment. Well, they're like, hey, ta- it's chairs aren't enough, how about some more furniture? Let's get some tables. <laughs> um, Awesome is trying to hit the awesome bomb on Tanaka, throw him clear over the top rope and into, on, onto the table. He keeps trying, but Tanaka keeps slipping out, and eventually Masada Tanaka picks him up for an awesome bomb of his own. Tosses him over the top rope. Mike Awesome goes head first into the table and head first into the fucking concrete. Yeah, that spot was was pretty pretty fucking brutal there. Um you can tell that he's sort of trying to angle it to where it hits his to where he hits his back, but it looks like he hits his head, but I'm not sure at the I mean, how effective. He straight that was. up lands on top of his head. I, I, I mean, like, I don't know how that didn't kill him. I've seen this match three times, and I think you and I have watched this match before. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I, I just still can't believe it. Uh, and just somehow Mike Awesome still kicks out at 2.999999999. Like. Yeah, yeah. He is, like, to, and then very, to, very close. Eventually, Tanaka is able to finish him off. He puts two chair piles two chairs on top of each other on the mat. And then hits a tornado DDT off the top rope on top of them for the three count. I wrote about this. I wrote, holy crap, this is my third time watching this, and I still can't get over it. Yeah, it's a great match. I don't know how these these guys put themselves through all that. Um, I don't know. I have have no idea. It's it's impressive, I'll say that. And they go on to have several more classic matches. In ECW, and then as I mentioned, in their reunion show in 2005, they have another match where they straight up steal the show. Um, Yeah, incredible. I gave it 4.75 out of 5 stars. This is a great one. I would agree with that. It was was fantastic. Yeah, I think, so here's the problem with this show, is I think it's top heavy. (laughs) I I agree. The better matches are at the top of the show, and I think this is where it peaks. I think this is the best match on the show and they start to decline from here on out. Yes, we are certainly heading into the bottom. Of I mean, the and this show. is still a good show all around. A lot of people call it the best ECW show of all time. But yeah, again, I think the first three matches are the best ones. Yeah, I actually think the show just gets worse as it goes yeah. in some in some regards. Yeah. Uh, we go backstage to Taz, who's wearing a gross black towel on his head. Yeah, I don't know what that shit was about. I was a little confused by why he decided to to put that towel as a part of his costume. It's just part of him. 
Uh, here's the thing about Taz. Let's talk about him a little bit. He's a tiny little boy, but he's fucking tough. He's, um, he, they call him the human suplex machine because he's just tossing fools about. He's actually the guy who popularized, um, tapping out as, as in submissions. Most times submissions would end with a person like verbally saying that they quit. He's the first person to really make people physically tap out. He's the first person to, he kind of picked it up from, you know, like ultimate fighting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting to me that I, I because I, I always thought that tapping out was sort of a universal submission symbol from from before then. Yeah. Um I did not know that was as young as Taz is. Mm-hmm. Um Taz is the FTW champion, which I always used to think meant for the win champion, but actually means fuck the world. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but isn't he's the quote unquote unofficial champion? Yeah, so here's the thing. Which, so, like, so Shane Douglas if, is the world champion at this point, but he has that arm injury, so he's not wrestling, he's not defending the title. So Taz is like, you know what? I'm just going to create my own title and I'll be the champion. Okay. But here's the thing if people are talking about it, isn't it an official championship? That's a good you point. Know, it's like an unsanctioned match. If it's happening, isn't it sanctioned? Yeah. I mean, if, if we're having a match and the ring announcer says that this is for that championship. Yeah. But yeah, basically <laughs> but it was just a, a way fun plot point. It was just a way to I don't know, kind of raise the stakes. Yeah, yeah raise I the can stakes without taking the title off of Douglas. Taz says he's not making any excuses to previously losing to Bam Bam Bigelow. Um they talk about the fact that they their last match, Bam Bam put Taz through the ring um, in a very infamous spot in ECW, and, and Bam Bam was able to win like that. Um, and then he also mentions he's the best champion on TV, not Austin, not Goldberg, and not Mike Tyson. The big three. Yeah, um, strange to throw Mike Tyson in that mix. I mean... Punching, it's kind of like wrestling. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. But it's like, you know, you name two people that you know aren't really going to kick your ass. And then you name one man who very much could. And then, of course, Taz ends the promo with his catchphrase, Beat me if you can, survive if I let you. What do you think about Taz? Um, I don't know. I He's all right, I guess. He's, I mean, he's like a little dude that likes to be beat up, and that's kind of fun, I guess, in, in some ways. And very kinky. Uh, he's very kinky. He's very, he's a little bit horny. There's a horny tinge to him, I will say that. Um, I don't know, but the the towel on the head was a little weird. Yeah. It, his presentation lacks some things, I think. To, well, you should have seen him before, because be he used to be called the Tasmaniac, and he would wear, like fucking like tribal clothes and he would just not talk and he would he was just like a rabid animal so i think that this is a step up from that yeah i'll say that that's just, i'll agree with you on that that is 100 percent a step and up. i think they made him start talking because they had him feud with sabu and they're like well we can't have two guys who don't talk <laughs> and so and he goes on to be a a color commentator at the wwe yeah yeah well and then eventually tna where I'm not sure if he's still there now, but uh, yeah, he he uh, he doesn't have much of a career in WWE because eventually the injuries catch up with him and he has to call it quits. But I'll tell you this: he's a much better wrestler than he is a commentator, in my opinion. 
No, I'd agree. Uh, we go back to the announce table with uh, our friend Shane Douglas, Francine, and Joey Styles. Shane Douglas says he's the real world champion. Uh, and then Joey Styles says, we're about to go hear from the Dudleys. And he's like, even though I hate those guys. I, I just, I love how honest he is. Yes. And, like, honestly, the Dudleys are kind of the worst. Um, okay. And I realize that they're heels, and that's, like, the point. But, like, God, I just don't like them. I think maybe you don't like them here because they're in their early days. But the Dudleys are a very popular team and probably one of the most successful tag teams ever. Uh one of I, we've watched a Dudley match before. Once they move on to to the WWE, I think I, I feel yeah, like we have. Yeah, well, I think we watched their their very famous TLC match. But they, I mean, they are. Um, let's they they're the most decorated tag team in professional wrestling history. I, I'm just gonna say their squad here is too big. Well, yeah, that's the thing. When they first started out, there were too many Dudleys. Um, so the Dudleys, the whole thing is. Their father was a traveling salesman who had sex with many women in all the different cities. So that's why they their Dudleys are all of different shapes, sizes, and ethnicities. Oh, I did not. I did not know that. I was kind of wondering. I was like, oh, so it's like a more of a figurative brotherhood. No, no, they're actually brothers. Well, I mean, in real life, they're not actually brothers, but in the story, they're actually brothers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, the Dudleys are this big, huge clan who also has. This guy named Joel Gertner, who is just the the fucking horniest man on earth. <laughs> uh, we'll get a little bit to Joel Gertner later, but um, they're the guys who took out New Jack. So they're like, yeah, New Jack can't protect uh, Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman and Spike Dudley, who is, though he is a member of the Dudleys, he is defected and doesn't. He's 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 the Dudley that time forgot <laughs> well more so like he's the Dudley who he's the traitor Dudley um and they also took out Beulah McGillicuddy who is Tommy Dreamer's real life wife and storyline wife um uh by pile driving her or not pile driving her they gave her the 3D the deadly death drop uh, we'll get into uh, into all that a little bit later. I do want to mention that Bubba Ray has this Confederate flag do-rag, and he does this very weird Southern accent that he drops by the end of the show. And that's yeah, never I been a thing that with was him. Odd. He's always... He's never... Okay, later he has this weird stuttering gimmick when he goes to the WWF, but he's I, he's never been a Southerner. Like, that one's weird. I think maybe that's how he started, which would make sense why he's called Bubba. But yeah, 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 I don't know. That was weird. So now we move on to our ECW World Tag Team Championship match. We've got Jinsei Senzaki and Hayabusa, who are two guys who had, you know, are famous in Japan, but um, but kind of ended up coming over to ECW for like a one night kind of special thing. I will say this about ECW. They were really good at taking styles from other countries and introducing them to an American audience like Lucha Libre. Uh, was really not really done until ECW started doing it. Japanese Strong Style, um, also the same. Uh, and I, I'm a fan of the Japanese wrestling here that we see. Yeah, the, I know. These guys are really good. Yeah, no, and this one is still a pretty good match. This one is kind of a split. A lot of people really enjoy this match. Some people think it's not that good because there's a lot of botches here and there. The guy, <laughs> And I guess that's kind of what you get when you're that, you know, you do all these crazy aerial moves the way they do. You... You fuck up 
from time to time, and you fuck up more. The 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 bigger you go, the more often you go home. Yes, yes, um, indeed. Yeah, because there's a you fucked up chant like two minutes into the match. <laughs> um, uh, we get. I like how all their matches start with like good chain wrestling, um, uh, like good back and forth, like quick pinfalls, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, I agree. It's always really really nice way to kick things off, and you don't really see that so much in WWF and WCW, uh, and you're even seeing that with like people who are like. A lot more like hardcore brawlers, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, we get lots of crazy action, um, and we get a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of whistling. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Fonzie! Like, God damn it! Like, I get, I get that that's his gimmick. I get that he's supposed to be annoying. I get that the whistle's supposed to be annoying. But good God, it distracts from the match. I can't. Yeah, I was having trouble paying attention because I just wanted to fucking murder him. Yeah, you gotta watch a match on fucking mute. There is a really good match that you'll probably like just because Bill Alfonso gets his comeuppance. He has a match against Bill McGillicuddy, the Tommy Dreamer's wife and not a real wrestler. He's also not a real wrestler. They have a match where he just gets the fucking shit kicked out of him. And Good just bleeds buckets like it's one of the bloodiest matches ever happened, but that's really good to watch after you watch this one or any match where he's involved because he's always got that damn whistle. Oh, so the whistle is not just like a one-off. See, I thought that the whistle would be something that they like tried and they're like, you know what, the whistle it really doesn't work. It's really more annoying than um than anything. Nope, we're gonna we're gonna not do that anymore. But no, I guess the whistle is his thing. Nope. I yeah no, I've I've watched matches where it's worse than this. Jesus Christ! And he does it through the whole damn match. I was like hoping I was like, oh God, somebody like knock him out or something, please. Yeah, but no. Oh, it's just ugh. Um. We're getting some cool things that I can't really call. Like, Sabu does this cool, like, thing where he bounces, like, he does, like, a seated bounce into a moonsault onto Hayabusa. Hayabusa sends Sabu to the outside, does a springboard moonsault on top of Sabu and RVD and Shinzaki. And then we get that same kind of spot again, where Shinzaki, Hayabusa, and RVD are all brawling, and then Sabu sets up a chair in the ring, and he does like his like tri- he calls it a triple jump moonsault, where he jumps up onto the chair, then he jumps from the chair onto the top rope, and launches himself into the crowd on top of all three guys, and and they go nuts there. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Uh, RVD uh, puts Hayabusa gut first on the guardrail, comes off the apron with a corkscrew leg drop. In the ring, RVD has Shinzaki in like this surfboard move, and then and Sabu jumps off the top rope with a fucking chair, uh, which was awesome. Yeah, that was that was dope. I agree. Uh, here's probably my f- like one of my favorite moments of the match and of the show. If it were not for that goddamn Mike Awesome going headfirst to a table spot. But, so, Sabu gets a top rope Hurricane Rana on Shinzaki. And then, out of fucking nowhere, RVD just flies into the, like, he's not on screen. And then all of a sudden, you just see him fly in. Like, half, <laughs> like three quarters of the way across the ring, turning in midair for a splash on Shinzaki. And I just, I'm like, 
if the like production value of the show weren't so bad, I would think that that was fake. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was, it was dope. Because that does not look um, like something a human being can do. You know, though, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I think that, and I, in the shows we've watched, typically hate tag team matches of any variety. But I think that here, the ECW does a tag team match in a way that I enjoy. Because it is usually very clear who is tagged in. The people, if there are run-ins... They're in and out, usually. If they do linger, they usually will, like, lay near the edge of the ring. Yeah. So it's clear who the active wrestler is. So you can follow... I mean, this match gets crazy. Like, everyone ends up in the crowd at one point, but, like, you can still follow it. Yeah. No, this is a pretty good tag match. Um, uh, we get a... Uh, we get... Hayabusa hitting a 450 splash, another move that does not seem possible for a human being to do. Um, at one point, Sabu, um, or, yeah, I think it's Sabu puts, uh, I, I, I didn't even write it down. He puts somebody crotched, oh, on Hayabusa. Hayabusa gets put crotched legged on the top rope. Fonzie holds up a chair in front of RV in front of Hayabusa's face. RVD jumps off the top and kicks the chair into his face. Yeah. It's a very innovative moves. You don't see that often. Um, they do bring out a table. Uh, they have to try a couple of times with the table because the legs just fall off. <laughs> <laughs> but they eventually do get their table spot. A really cool one where they put both guys on top of both tables. And then RVD, or no, it's one table. They put both guys on one table, and then each of them, RVD and Sabu, both come up off the top rope with a simultaneous leg drop through the table. Um, and just the sheer amount of coordination I here know. is insane. That could have gone like, very badly. Yeah, and they did. They hit it pretty much, boom, same time. Because if you like, don't hit it at the same time, like you're going to end up like fucking somebody up. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so they went it here. Um, it was very fun to watch, it, although it was a little bit too much of kind of a stunt show. Uh, yeah, it got a little wild. I'll say that it got a little, it got a little crazy there. I'll give it a three point five. Yeah, I, I'll say it was crazy in a way that I liked because I could follow the crazy. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we go to a little promo package about Taz and Bam Bam Bigelow. It's narrated by Paul Heyman. It's really weird to have like a narrated like promo package, but it's fine, I guess. I mean, it helped me f- kind of figure out what was going on. That's where we see uh, Taz try to put the Taz mission onto Bam Bam Bigelow, and then he he just he just drops weight, and they go both go through the ring. Uh, Taz actually congratulates him, and then we see Taz feuding with Shane Douglas. Uh, and then his reasoning for creating the FTW title. And Bam Bam Bigelow basically just becomes Shane Douglas's bodyguard. We're back at ringside, and, and Shane Douglas is like right in the middle of a rant uh, about how Bam Bam Bigelow is going to put Taz through the cement tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Joey Styles also mentions how when they went through the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow was tapping out, but the ref didn't see it. So it's kind of like a contentious kind of uh, ending there. This one is going to be a Falls Count Anywhere matchup. Um, meaning they can get some get pinfalls or submissions anywhere. 
in the arena or in the world, presumably. Huh, I wonder if that will foreshadow anything to come in this match. Hmm. Like, I, I, okay, rules changes are fun, I'll say that. But they really do forecast what's going to happen. Well, yeah, a Falls Count Anywhere match is never going to end in the ring. Which is why I hate a Falls Count Anywhere match a little bit. Just because, yeah, like, I mean, I think it would be funny if a Falls Count Anywhere match ended in the ring at one point. Because it'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, because then say, it would like, make it seem a little more real because it's like yeah it, I mean hey we said falls count anywhere that doesn't mean that it, the falls will count anywhere right right uh, and I think actually though this was a problem in the last uh, big low match that we covered with the flags the flag match that was Vader um, wow dude oh. every fat guy is not the same okay I apologize to Vader and to Bam Bam Bigelow and to bad, me, boys. and to our listeners. And, yes, and to everyone, to the world. Speaking but, of the world, fuck the world. That's the championship this is for. <laughs> but uh, when, when in that match they're like, oh, it doesn't, ha- you don't have to get the flag. You can just pin someone normal style too. Like, oh, okay, well, now I know what's going to happen. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it does make it nice because they kind of, I mean, they, we get some good crowd fighting. Um, it, th- they both have two nicknames. Bigelow is announced as the self-proclaimed Taz killer. S- Joey Styles mentions that Taz is the most miserable son of a bitch I've ever met, and I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, this guy is just mad. <laughs> just a buzzkill, really. I mean, okay, I think you would be mad too if you were if you were constantly getting picked on by the big guy in school. Yeah, I think so. I think it's fair to be and the, and the pop uh, and the popular guy it. never wants to play with you. Yeah, and no, I think somebody Taz put you through the ring, and that would also make me a little pissed off. Basically, they just gave Taz a swirly. The, the biggest guy in school gave Taz a swirly, and he's mad about it. Pretty much, uh, being, being put through the ring is the swirly of wrestling. It is. They should have, like, a swirly matchup. Loser gets swirlied. Oh, man, first person to give a swirly is the victor. Toilet match! I would watch a toilet match. Um, let's let's get into the match. Um, they, we pretty much go into the crowd, uh, pretty soon. Uh, he literally kicks, Taz kicks Bam Bam Bigelow in the face into the crowd. Uh, I do like how at the beginning Shane Douglas is like, I'm not going to be biased. I'm going to call this right down the middle and then proceeds to be like, kill him, Bam Bam, kill him. (laughs) That is, I agree, that is very fun. So we're brawling in the crowd. We're getting chairs thrown at people. At one point, Bam Bam Bigelow picks up a section of the guardrail and throws it at Taz, and Taz acts like it didn't even happen. (laughs) I do have to say, though, I crowd fighting is cool and it's fun, but it's hard to tell what's going on. And here, I feel like it goes on for a little bit. Yeah, like the farther away you get from the ring, the harder it is to like wrestle. And I'm just like, man, it must suck for everyone else in this crowd because like they can't see this shit. Um, I, I do want to talk about the fact that they're just like, like Taz is suplexing Bam Bam onto the concrete. Like, in, that, that's just happening. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's pretty pretty intense. Taz tries for the Taz mission, which is his his sleeper hold. Uh, Bam Bam reverses it into a jawbreaker. Eventually, we get back into the ring, and Taz's eye is bleeding. Um, we get a big power bomb in the center of the ring, and then we go for a table. I feel like almost every match has a table. In fact, I I think the Lance Storm and and Chris Candido match is the only one that does not have a table in it. I know what though. I'm going to be real. Normally, I would hate that. Normally, if this was a show in any other place, I would hate that. I would hate that there are so many chairs and tables, and I'd be like, it makes it less special. But it feels fine here to me. I don't know why. And somehow they do it in a way where everyone is different. Like, every table spot is a little bit different. Right, right. Um, It's different here uh, because (laughs) this is one of the few times I've ever seen someone use a table and then not be done with it. Because <laughs> Bam Bam uh, whips Taz right into the table, sends him right through it, uh, and then Taz eventually gets back up. Uh, Bigelow moves to the, what remains of the table to the other corner, and then Taz gets back up and suplexes Bam Bam through the rest of the table. So they're like, you know what? We're getting our money's worth for this this year table. I do wonder. How much wrestling tables cost? And I say wrestling tables because every table in wrestling is the same. Yeah, they are. Um, and I actually think, I mean, you can go and get that kind of table. Typically now they're plastic, but... I've never seen that table in real life. I've seen plastic You've never tables. seen that table? I've never seen a I've wooden s- table like that in real life. Well, I've seen that table a lot. I guess I have a few times. No, it's true. I have a few times. Like at schools. Like at, like, yes, like whenever they were older. I would they do were, like, um, yeah. My grandparents used to take me and my brother to, like, church camp over the summer, which was never really fun, but they did have a lot of tables like that. And if you were me, like, you probably never had this thought, but I would always do that and be like, oh, God, I want to throw somebody through it. (laughs) I want to throw somebody through that table. I want to see if it's as satisfying as it looks like on TV, and I'm sure it's way more satisfying. Yeah, I, oh, man, it seems great. Part of me kind of wants to be thrown through a table. Yeah, I know. I want to get put through a table. Someone please do that. That's my, on my bucket list. You know yeah, what? Someone, someone put us through tables. I'm calling it right now. A hundred subscribers, I'll go through a table. Okay, let's maybe bump that A thousand subscribers, I'll go through a table. <laughs> you know what? Okay. No subscribers. I'm going through a table right now. <laughs> um... So eventually, you know, that's that's not enough. So we're back out on the entrance ramp. And I like how they're clearly just trying to one up. They're like, "Oh man, we put him through it through the ring. How can we how can we one up ourselves?" Yeah. So, yeah. Um this does sort of feel like the whole match exists only for one moment. Yeah. Um Bam Bam picks up Taz for a press slam and Taz reverses it into a tornado DDT and they go through the ramp. And to the floor below. I'm not going to say that going through the ramp isn't cool. It's just like, I mean, I don't know. It seems it seems unnecessary, I guess. Yeah, and also I feel like going through the ring was still somehow more impressive than going through the ramp. Yeah, but because like the ring is supposed to be made to withstand punishment. And so the idea that someone puts someone through the ring is like, oh, holy shit. They broke the thing that's like normally very bouncy and like like there to be be slammed upon. 
the ramp is just for people to walk on, you know? Yeah. Also, it, like, I don't, I think that this was just, like, I don't know. I feel like I might be the only person who thinks that the ramp spot is, just looks a little weird. It looks a little bit like construction paper to me. It looks, it does. It looks a lot weird. And I was, like, looking online to see if anyone else has made that observation, but I can't find anyone who's made that observation. Maybe it's just me. But it looks like there was just part of the ramp that was construction paper. Well, right. So, I mean, I'm sure that that part of the ramp was made for them to go through. Right. And to do that, you pretty much just have a covering and then, like, it's kind of shallow or or whatever underneath. So, now I, I will think say, you're right. I what's think it is a more impressive material. than them going through the, like, breaking the ramp is them, like, falling on top of each other. That seems like that might be a little dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, the crowd's going nuts. Eventually, Bam Bam Bigelow crawls out, followed shortly by Taz, which I actually did think was a little cool moment because it's almost like a like a horror movie where he like rises from beneath, and he just yeah, comes that charging was cool. at him, puts him in a Taz mission, and Bam Bam Bigelow taps out, uh, which Shane Douglas claims he's he's like. Shane Douglas has this really cool moment where it's like he was reaching for the ropes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> how he says it. Um, I like these guys as wrestlers, and this was like a little entertaining thing. But it really kind of was just like a brawl with one spot. I agree. I so agree. I, it was just like stall until the ramp happens. I give it a two and a half out of five. It almost I almost feel bad for giving it that low of a rating, but it's. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Shane Douglas gets so mad he throws a TV, which is impressive considering his arm is broken. Yeah, and so then he, he leaves, right? He just just deuces the fuck out? Yeah. Yeah, uh, which... <laughs> I mean, Shane Douglas is not really there to be a commentator. He's there as part of the storyline, so, I mean... Eh. Him, yeah, but then it, Styles is left to do it alone. But most of the time, he would be by himself, Joey Styles. That's fair, I guess. Um, which, I kind of like him by himself. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, it, it's always fun to have someone to play off of. I'll say that. But he's he does a great job. Uh, we go back to Joey Styles, who introduces the next match. Oh, and that's where we see the Dudleys hit Beulah McGillicuddy. As I mentioned, Tommy Dreamer's wife, both in the story and in real life. They hit her with the 3D and break her neck uh, in storyline, not in real life. She didn't really break her neck. Uh, and Joey Styles comes right out. He says, and this is what he says. He says, I'm not going to be objective because the Dudleys make me sick to my goddamn stomach. Yeah, no, I love when he's like, they're telling me in my ear right now that I should talk. And I'm not going to talk when the Dudleys are here. Uh, that's a very interesting moment because, okay, here's the thing about ECW. Because they really had no rules, they also had no rules when it came to licensing. And so they would just, like, pick popular songs for the wrestlers to come out to. Like, Sandman came out to enter Sandman. But here's the problem is the WWE Network, and I can't really fault them for this, they can't really just buy every song that they came out to for their show. So, yeah, <laughs> the only people I think who had real songs here 
the, the original songs were RVD and, Sa- and and Taz because those were made specifically for them. Everyone else had their own original music. So every, other than those two, every, like, entrance music you hear is, like, a remixed version WWE made on their own. Or, like, oh, wow. or like their, the WWE entrance music, which would always be really weird when, like, I'd hear Chris Jericho coming out to a song that I know did not exist at that time. <laughs> um, I guess with the Dudleys, they were just like, oh, fuck it. I don't know what we're going to put for their music. So they just come out to silence. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I, they just... I didn't realize that. I that is... I don't know wow. why they just didn't put their WWE music. That would have been... I Normally, people complain about that, but I'd much rather that to the awkward silence they come out to. I yeah, guess that's it's fair. To, to make more of a point when Joey Styles is like, oh, yeah, I guess I should talk now. Though I will say this is another point in the show where I'm like, can we just get fucking moving, please? Yeah, um... Half of more than half of this page of notes is the before the match for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it takes them forever to get to the match because the Dudleys come out with their big plan. So the actual wrestlers here are Bubba Ray, Devon, who are the actual like the the Dudleys that last in WWF. Spike <laughs> Spike Dudley also lasts, but no one else really lasts. Uh, they come out with Big Dick Dudley, who was like the other Dudley who kind of at least stuck around for a little while. They come out with Sign Guy Dudley, who has signs, Joel Gertner, who is Mr. Horny Neckbrace, and Jeff Jones, who is a heel referee. Um, yeah, there's just way too much. Way too much in that posse. Yeah. Uh, Bubba gets on the mic. Uh, he loses his southern accent for no reason. Um, he says they're the most dangerous men in pro wrestling and they challenge anyone in the WWF or WCW. Uh, he even challenges a guy in the crowd and, uh, says that he had sex with his mother last night. Good one. Yeah, nice. Good slam. Then Devon gets on the mic and tells Joel Gertner to testify. I've got a few quotes here from Joel Gertner. Okay. Is it hot in here or is it just me? And then he announces himself as the guy who makes your panties moist, harder than Chinese algebra. I always make them sore, yet they keep coming back for more. Uh, so that was this guy's gimmick, is he would just say sex stuff. Uh, and it gets worse, because then he announces Jeff Jones, the heel referee, who is carrying a doll with Beulah's face on it, that he apparently has sex with. Yeah, that was gross. Yeah, like imagine well. imagine a wrestling storyline. Imagine this. So here's here's the story. These guys paralyzed a woman, and to rub it in her husband's face, they make a doll out of her that they fuck. Ugh. Well, okay, we shouldn't say make a doll out of her. That conjures uh, a little okay. bit more of a darker They image. make a doll, make a doll of, her. of her, yes, of her visage. Yeah, and then, and then we get to sign guy, and Joel Gertner says he has a ruptured rectum, and Joey Styles says, well, I guess Gertner is responsible for giving him his ruptured rectum. Get it? Because gay is funny. Uh, gay. Gay! Yeah, no. Wow, guys. Hey, look, it's gay. 
it's like, oh man, we didn't have enough uh, sexism, so we had to have homophobia too. Yeah, we, there's not enough problematic shit going on here between Sabu and the sexism, so let's just pile it on. Um, and then he, he announces uh, Bubba and Devon and Big Dick Dudley. I think the wildest thing about this is the only person he doesn't make a sex joke about is Big Dick. Yeah, sort of a missed opportunity. I guess because he didn't have to. And then we get to what I think is the worst moment, the worst thing that's said in this show, is that Bubba drove Beulah's head into the mat so hard she didn't know whether to urinate, defecate, or ejaculate. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was just, oh, God. My God. Oh, man, I never thought I'd say all three of those words together. Uh, Much less on a pay-per-view. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, 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 boy. Okay, so finally, Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, and Spike Dudley walk out. And you know what? Thank God, because these guys are just a bunch of fun-loving dudes. Yeah, they're they're nice. I like them. They like to drink and party, and they like to hang out with the crowd. They're just hanging out with them. And they also like climbing, because they all bring a ladder. (laughs) Uh, Sandman gets his ladder on the ramp, he climbs up to the top, and he drinks beer and smokes a cigarette. So, Sandman is basically Stone Cold Steve Austin if Stone Cold were from Florida. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good analogy. Uh, Sandman smashes the beer can on his head until he cuts himself open, and then this is really funny. Spike smashes the beer can on his head, and he just gets wet. (laughs) <laughs> He's just a wet, tiny man. I've always been a big fan of Spike Dudley because he's like, he's like, he's the runt Dudley, and like B- Bubba and Devon would always team with each other, and then Spike would go, go back and forth from teaming with them to feuding with them to one time where he was the boss of them, which that was a really fun story. I actually thought that uh, actually does seem like, it but would be Spike fun. is the only is the only one who. Manages to come out of ECW and keep the Dudley gimmick other than the, the main two. So, you know, good good on him. Um, Yeah, so these boys are just hanging out, having a good time. The match finally starts, and I can't believe it. They're actually just, like, having a normal wrestling match at first. At first, yes. <laughs> but, like, I couldn't believe that. They're, like, tagging in and out, and they're, like, doing, like, these, like, roll-ups and stuff. Because uh, we start with, uh, they like kind of pair off, because we have uh, Dreamer and Devon, and eventually Bubba comes in, and Spike is like, tag me, tag me, tag me. And he comes in, and he gets the shit kicked out of him by Bubba. Um, Spike eventually like her, does a hurricane rata that sends him into the other corner, and Bubba gets smashed in the face with a beer. Bubba tags in Big Dick, and then Sandman comes out, and the crowd is chanting, fuck him up, Sandman. Sandman clotheslines Big Dick over the top rope, and everyone follows, and now everyone is just brawling. We're going to the crowd, and this one has just erupted into chaos. Yes, it just becomes a gigantic mess. Yeah, this one was really not a match. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was it was something else. This was a good, like, segment. Like, this is something, like, if you were watching on TV, and, like, one guy's cutting a promo, and then, like, everyone starts fighting... That would be yeah. fun. This was not really much of a match at all. And it's certainly not much of a main event. That's true. What? Yeah, uh, everyone ends up bleeding 
to the point where, like, I don't even know how they bled. Like, I don't even know what happened to make them bleed, but everyone, like, eventually you pop up and you're like, oh, okay, he's bleeding now. Oh, like, Do you think that this show, that they, like, front-loaded stuff because they thought people might stop watching? Uh, Is that why this comes at the end? No, I don't think that's it. I think they always, they always kind of did it like this because they were, I mean, here's the thing you gotta think about. Even though, like, you know, we're kind of, like, Monday morning quarterbacking this, like, we're thinking, like, oh, man, the good wrestling, the good, like, high-intense athletic stuff, that's the good stuff. At the end of the day, especially in the 90s, that wasn't really what was, like, you know, making people want to watch. Like in the, I suppose so. In the Candido and Lance Storm match, they're getting distracted. They're, like, you know, chanting for tits, and they, like, don't even pay attention to the end of the match because they're watching, like, uh, Tammy Lynn's dress fall off. Like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's why WCW put their cruiserweights on at the beginning. That's why, you know, like, when we watched, uh, you know, some of our WWF Attitude Era shows, it always ends with, like, your hardcore brawl match. They're kind of doing the same thing here. Uh, really. I mean, yeah, really, this point. is the attraction match. I mean, because these are your you know, guys who are, like, your ECW legends and also Big Dick Dudley. Um, <laughs> these are the guys people associate with ECW and also Big Dick Dudley. <laughs> so, you know, you know, when people think of ECW, they don't think of Chris Candido, Lance Storm, Jerry Lynn, like, so much. They think of Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, Sabu, Rob Van Dam. Uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, this is kind of what they think. I mean... I mean, listen to them popping for everything. Uh, That's and, true. But honestly, you know, we really don't even get, like, a whole lot of crazy spots. It's just, like, getting hit with weapons. Eventually, we get to a point where everything is just, like, what they can do with a ladder. Right. Right. Uh, it, 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 it gets a little bit... It is really cool when Spike... I think I think Spike is actually probably the underdog in this match. Uh he really impresses me here, like because he climbs up on top of that huge ladder and dives down on top of everybody. Yeah, that is cool. Um, I agree. And then uh, eventually we get to a point. Yeah, Sandman does a rolling senton on top of Devon, and then um, we do get this very weird but kind of fun moment where. Sandman puts Big Dick in the corner, and, and it's it's a move called the Tree of Woe, tri- tied to the Tree of Woe, which is where they get their legs tied up in the corner and they're flipped upside down. So, yeah, so yeah. Big Dick, I actually liked this So spot. Big Dick is there, and then they put Devon, or they put Bubba in the other corner, and they put Devon in the third corner, and then Sign Guy comes in, Dreamer puts him in the figure four. Jeff Jones comes in, and for some reason, Pyle drives the Beulah doll. Yeah. And then the actual ref in this match puts, uh, well, Jeff Jones gets the pile driver, and then the actual ref puts Joel Gertner in the Tree of Woe in the other corner. And then so Dreamer, Sandman, Spike Dudley, and the goddamn referee dropkick chairs (laughs) into all their faces. That was a really funny moment. That was fun. That was cool. I liked it. Uh Big Dick, uh, then we get to this point where, like, everyone's just taking out everyone. Uh, Big Dick does a choke, do- choke bomb onto Dreamer on the ladder. Spike tries to do the acid drop to Big Dick, but Big Dick tosses him over the top rope when he goes right through a table. Sandman crotches Big Dick with a Singapore cane. 
Bubba hits Sandman in the head with a chair. Bubba goes for a top rope splash on Dreamer, but Dreamer moves out of the way. He lands on the ladder, and then Dreamer DDTs him on the ladder and gets the pin. Uh, that one like just felt like an out of the like out of nowhere win because it's like they did all this crazy stuff, and then he wins with a DDT on the ladder. Which I mean, yeah. to be fair, slamming someone head first onto a ladder is not something I want to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, I suppose. Um, but before they can celebrate, Jack Victory comes out. He's the guy who was uh, taken out earlier uh, in the in the big street brawl. Um, he comes in, hits Streamer fucking hard with a guitar. Like, yeah. yeah. It, like, I mean, there's like dust in the ring for the rest of the show. <laughs> um, and then, and then New Jack comes out, his music hits, and he brings a shopping cart full of weapons to the ring. Um, and he just throws the whole cart into the ring, and he hits Bubba with a stop sign, he hits Jack Victory with a trash can, hits Big Dick with the shopping cart, Sandman and Dreamer put the stop sign onto Jack Victory's crotch, and then New Jack hits him with a golf club in the balls, and the stop sign, and then he hits him with a guitar, and then they set up all the ladders and they're all posing, and New Jack's music is still playing, which, that was something they would do, was like, they would come out and their music would keep playing. Like, their music would play through the match. Oh, man. But it doesn't really work here when you can't, you don't have rights to the music. <laughs> so you're, yeah. So you're playing a bad remix version of it. Because <laughs> it used to be, I, let me see what their actual music was. Because it was something good. Because now it's just, an, it was just annoying. It was like, meow, 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 meow. oh, he came out to Natural Born Killers by Ice Cube and Dr. Dre. And it would oh, play wow. throughout the whole match. So instead of having that song play, they had this bad remake of it. Yeah. Uh, I wish they would have just done the silent thing like they did with the Dudleys, but maybe it wouldn't have sounded quite right. Who knows? Maybe so. I think it would have been preferable, though. I agree. This was a fun thing to watch, I guess. I couldn't really consider it a match. I gave it a two out of five, which almost seems like too much. Like, I almost want to give it a one and a half. But, I mean... This is really... This and the previous one were the only things in the show that I kind of didn't like, honestly. Um, yeah, and they were your biggest matches. But they were all... I mean, they were all just for show. And, exactly, and it became exactly. that way more... Like, the wrestling got lost as we went through the thing. Uh, I, I think they hit, they, they hit their perfect blend of wrestling and hardcore with the awesome and Tanaka match. Like, yeah, it was really hardcore, but it was still, the wrestling was still good and it was still like, oh, I really want to watch this. Uh, I agree. I agree. Once they got to the tag team match, they had a little bit too much. Uh, the wrestling was still good, but towards the back half of the match, it became too much about stunt work. And then the last two were literally just fights. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which are fun to watch. Not so fun to watch when they're your last two things on the show. And also the other problem with that main event was I think the 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 fucking introductions were still longer than the match. I think you're absolutely right about that. Um, and yeah, it was just it was just kind of dragging and it was like, why are we what what's going on here? But, when we started and then when we do start, like, I can't tell what the fuck anything is. <laughs> like But all in all, what did you think about your first kind of foray into ECW and this show. I really like ECW. I like it way more than WCW. Um, 
I think that they were more on the cutting edge of what wrestling is going to become and what good wrestling is going to be. That is going to kind of wrap up our ECW episode. Hope you guys liked it. Uh, we want to encourage you guys to watch along with us. Next week, we're going to be doing something different. We're not going to be doing a show. We are going to be doing um, an episode all about John Cena. Uh, he's uh, probably one of the most popular wrestlers of this decade. Not probably. Definitely. He is. He is. Um, he gets a bad rap, which, get it? He gets a bad oh, rap because he starts out as a rapper. So we're going to be looking yeah. through some of John Cena's biggest moments in his career. Uh, I'm not going to list all the matches that we're doing, but you can find that on our Twitter page. Uh, that is uh, at Turnbuckle Train. So go to that. I'll be tweeting exactly which uh, which John Cena matches we're going to be watching, which ones we're going to be looking at. That way you can follow along with us. And we'll be watching on the WWE Network, but since Vince McMahon isn't signing our paychecks, you can feel free to find those wherever you can, and we won't snitch. Again, we're on Twitter 24-7, uh, at Termical Train. Uh, also, don't forget to, uh, to let us know what you think about the show so far uh, by giving us a review on either iTunes or wherever you, you listen to our podcast. And also, uh, don't forget that we do have another podcast, so if you want more Peyton and Zach, uh, you can get that uh, by listening to Feud Fight. That comes out every single Monday, uh, and is, is kind of the, uh, the it's like our father. It's our dad show. Yeah, I mean, it's the big old our dad dads, show. Our dads aren't on the shows, although... Oh, God, a, that would be terrible. A dad Let's epi- do it. A dad episode of Feud Fight? Yeah, let's get Joe and Scott and Ernie. Yes. <laughs> Those are such, like, dad names, too. They really are. It's me, Austin! The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Son of a bitch. I did it for the ride.